Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. And we'll return to our study in this little book. It's hard to find um, in the minor prophets, but it's just toward the end, uh, just before you get to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Haggai chapter 2, and we'll resume our study there in, in verse number 10. Haggai 2 and verse 10. You know, there's been a lot of controversy and conversation this week. Perhaps you saw the ad in the Super Bowl last weekend from the group, He Gets Us. And if you didn't see it, you don't really need to waste your time to go see it. Um, But basically, the ad really highlighted what a lot of people see as a tension or a conflict that exists between different um, components of Christianity. Specifically, the conflict between the internal component of Christianity and the external component of Christianity. And this is, this is a, um, if I could call it a, a debate, um, this is a struggle that has gone on in both religion and Christianity for some time. Um, in fact, it goes way back, and we'll see it even goes back to the book of Haggai. Um, but there are those who tend to focus on the external component of Christianity. And as a result, they make the mistake of minimizing the internal component. They focus on what is the Christian to do on the outside. How are they to talk? How are they to dress? How are they to carry themselves? What are, what are they supposed to do? What are they not supposed to do? The things that we see on the, the outside. And, and, and Christianity tends to become a, a, a list of things that we need to do, especially on the outside. So there are those who tend to focus on the external component and mistakenly minimize the internal component. But then there are also those who focus on the internal component. They say, no, 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 it's all about the heart. It's all about what happens on the inside and make the mistake of completely ignoring or minimizing to the point that it doesn't even exist the importance of the external display of our Christianity and living out our obedience to God. You know, as long as you, quote-unquote, love Jesus, then it's not a big deal how you live or whatever you do. And depending on your background, where you come from, uh, depending on your experiences or perhaps, perhaps even your personality, you're going to trend one way or the other. You're going to trend towards the external, here's the list, do all the things you're supposed to do, and that's what's important, and minimize and, and mistakenly overlook some things on the inside. Or you're going to trend, well, it's all about you know, my relationship with God, and if, if, if that's all okay, it doesn't really matter about the outside. And you say, well, which one is right? Is it the, the external minimizing the internal, or is it the internal minimizing the external? Who is right? Does God want us to do certain things on the outside in order to please Him? Or does he just want us to love him and not worry about how we live on the outside? What's more important to God? Being or doing? And the mistake is often the case with the questions that get asked is, it's not all about the answer to the question. 
It's actually about a flaw in the question itself. Because the question itself sets up a false choice. It's either this or this. Are you A or B? Are you B or A? Hurry up, make a choice. It it, it lays out a false choice. Because the question is, which one is more important? This or this? And that's a mistake. You see, Jesus dealt with this very issue quite a lot with the Pharisees in the New Testament. And one verse, I'll just, I want to put it up there on the screen for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. And let's see, John, if you can just throw that up, my clicker's not working. But there you go. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. It's a familiar text. Jesus is pointing out, Pharisees, you are hypocrites because your focus is on the external tithe, tithing of all of these uh, 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 minutest of of spices in your your kitchen, your, your spice rack, and you've omitted the internal things, the weightier matters of the law of judgment, mercy, and faith. And sometimes we can read this and say, well, yeah, they shouldn't have done the tithe part, what they should have done was focus on those really really weightier matters. But you'll notice, I've telegraphed where I'm going. Jesus makes a peculiar statement. He says, these ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Jesus was saying, you, you tithed as I commanded you to tithe. You ought to have done this. But you left something undone. It's not about omitting that and and doing this. It's about both. And tonight, I want to drive home the emphasis from this chapter in Haggai that God wants both. God deserves both. This is God's desire for us. God wants both the internal heart devoted to Him But God also wants obedience on the outside, and the two go hand in hand. So that brings us now to Haggai chapter 2. And so far, Haggai has been preaching different messages that God has given uh, to him, and he dates each of those messages. We've seen three of them already. The first message was to the remnant who returned from captivity, and God's message to them was, make my house a priority. They had started building a temple for God. There were some obstacles to that. And so they quit building that temple for 16 years. It sat uh, abandoned and, and uh, uh, without any sort of attention or without any care for what was going on there. The people had turned into uh, uh, caring about themselves. And God's message to them was, consider your priorities. Make my house a priority. Build my house. In chapter 1, that was his first message. The second message in chapter 2, after the people heard uh, what God had to say, they said, well, we should, we should obey. We should do what God has told us to do. And so Zerubbabel, who was the leader, and, and Joshua, who was the, the religious leader, they got together and they said, hey, let's go obey God. Let's, let's do this. And they began to obey. And so the second message was God was telling them, I see your obedience and I'm with you. Consider your obedience. And then the third me- message that we looked at in chapter number 2 was the message, be strong and work. Consider your discouragement, 
There, was, there were those who saw what was being accomplished and they, they got kind of down because it wasn't, it wasn't as grand as they thought it was going to be. And so God says, be strong and work. That brings us now to chapter 2 and verse 10, the fourth message. And there's two parts to this message. You'll notice that in verse number 10, there's a date in the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month. And if you skip to verse number 20, you'll notice that the date is the same. So there's two messages here. We're only going to look at the first one. Um, We'll save the second one for next week, Lord willing. But in, in order to understand the message that's here from verse 10 to verse 19, we have to take we have to take the passage as a whole, and, and so many commentators I read, and I read a lot this week trying to uh, just wrestle with this and trying to understand what God was trying to say to his people. And there's a lot of people who take the, these texts and they'll, they'll interpret them separately, and they kind of conflict in that interpretation. So they have to be, they have to be considered together to find out what God is saying to his people. So let's go ahead and read Haggai chapter 2. In verse number 10, the Bible says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you consider... From this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to an heap of twenty measures, and there were but ten, when one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels, or to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, in all the labor of or the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as the vine, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth? From this day will I bless you. Heavenly Father, would you help us tonight direct the message direct our hearts tonight into exactly what you are trying to communicate to your people and by extension what you are trying to communicate to us. I ask for your help and, and, and leadership and guidance and for the power of your spirit to take your word and to apply, apply it directly to our lives. Bless our time in your word in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so far up until this point in the book of Haggai, God's focus has been on obedience. Get out there and build my house. In uh, chapter 1, verse 8, go to the mountain. I love the simplicity of this verse. Go to the mountain, 
get wood, build my house, and I'll be glorified. I'll be pleased. So God's focus has been on obedience. Get busy building my house. Since that time, three months have gone by. Three months since they heard God's message. They decided to obey what God had told them to do. And the people are being obedient. They're doing what God had told them to do. This was an exciting time. They're doing what God said. What could be possibly wrong with that? Well, there was something wrong. God did have an issue that he needed to bring to their attention. The issue that he deals with right here in this text. And he he takes that issue and deals with that issue and then couples it with a very important promise if they heeded his warning. So let's walk through and, and understand what God is saying to his people. He starts with specifically, number one, questions for the priests. Haggai, who was a, a prophet, speaking on behalf of God, God tells him, I want you to go to the priests, the experts in the Old Testament law, the professionals. Go to the professionals and ask them, I've got an issue with the law. Can you interpret the law for me? And so Haggai has two different questions for the priests. The first question, we could boil it down and basically say, the first question is, can holiness be transferred? He says there in verse number 12, if one bear holy flesh, something that is holy, and he's bearing it in his, his clothing, the idea of a, maybe a, an apron or something out of his garb, he's, he's, he's uh, um, transporting that meat to a certain place. And along the way, uh, with his skirt, do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat. Shall it be holy? So if he's holding something, he's transporting something that is holy, and he touches something else, is that holiness transferred from what he is holding to that which he touches? And of course, what is the priest's answer? No. No. Now, this is a matter of the Old Testament law, but we understand this from just practical issues. If I, if I am healthy and I'm feeling well, am I able to go to the hospital and visit each room and my health sort of rub off on everyone that's there? Is that how it works? No, no it's not. If, if, if I am wearing clean clothes and I go and uh, run through a mud, a mud puddle, do I make the mud puddle clean? No. All right? So this is obvious, okay? And so this is what God is pointing out. Can holiness be transferred? And the, and the answer is no, it cannot. Then he follows it up with the second question in verse 13. If one that is unclean, so we're reversing, we're, we're flipping the scenario. If one that's unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. The question is, can unholiness or uncleanness Can that be transferred? And the answer is absolutely, yes, it can. And again, we don't have to think very deeply. If I am sick and and I'm carrying a transmutable disease that is contagious, and I go and hang out uh, with a bunch of healthy people, guess what's likely to happen? I'm going to transfer the sickness that I have to the people who are around, uh, that are around me. If my kids are out and, and enjoying uh, the, the creek in the backyard and, and, and making mud pies and stuff with, with the hose and, and anything they can get their hands on, they come into a clean house. 
The clean house doesn't make them clean. They make the clean house dirty. So holiness, uncleanness can be transferred. Okay, so God's asking these questions. What then is the point? What exactly is God saying? What's the point of this line of questioning? Well, verse 14 is the application. And this is God speaking, and this is, this is kind of strong. And this is what I really struggle with. Like, okay, what, this seems to be coming out of nowhere. What's going on here? He says, Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. Okay, what, what, what's going on here? I mean, we went from everything is grand, everything is great, the people are obeying, and, and uh, everything's wonderful, and God says, no, no, I've, I've got a problem here, I've got an issue here. Everything is not as it should be. God's point in these two questions was twofold. There were two questions, so he's got two different points. The first point is that your holy actions, the idea of obedience in building the temple, those holy actions on the outside will not make you holy on the inside. Obedience or good works on the outside is not a substitute for devotion or holiness on the inside. And his second point is very similar follows that same line of questioning. In reality, the holy work of their hands, that which they offered there, in reality, that work was corrupted and would continue to be corrupted by the unholy and impure state of their heart. So much so that God calls what they were doing, the work of their hands, that which they were offering, God calls what they were doing unclean. God calls them in a very, uh, in a fashion that really indicates a bit of a distance from his people. God calls them this people and this nation. Not my people and my nation, but this people, this nation. Denoting that there was still some sort of distance that existed between God and his people despite their outward obedience. I know there's a lot of commentators who come to this passage and they try, to, they try to finagle it in and say, well, what God is talking about is before they started obeying, but now that they've started obeying, everything is fine. And I think if, if you study this out, that, that's not what it's talking about. That's not consistent with all that's here. God's pointing out something to his people. He's pointing out the fact that he's after something that's deeper than just outward action. Yes, God wants your obedience, and you should not neglect that obedience. But he also wants your heart. Your heart. We had this question and discussion in teen choir a couple weeks ago. We were talking about singing. And how it's important that uh, when we sing, we're talking about motivation. Why, why do we sing? Why, why do we even have a... A, uh, a weekly uh, a choir instruction time for the young people. Why do we do that? What's the point of it? And so we talked about singing, the motivation of singing, and should you sing when your heart is not in it? 
And I understand, I knew where I was going with this, so I wasn't necessarily being fair to them. But one of, one of, the, one of the young people said something like, well, if your heart is not in it, then, then you probably shouldn't sing. And I said, no, no, I, I disagree with you. Because the idea of singing, praising God with song, is not something that we invented. It's something that God tells us to do. He commands us, sing unto the Lord. Sing praises to his name. We are commanded to sing. So what do we do if our heart is not in it? Do we stop singing? No. No, we don't. What do we do? We fix our heart and continue to sing. Like, don't stop obeying God because you're not on the outside because you're not obeying God on the inside. No, fix the inside and while you continue to do the outside. God wants both is the point. God, God deserves both. The inward devotion and the external obedience. God wants and deserves both. And so then he launches in, and I do not believe verse 15 is a separate thought. Again, there's two messages that God gave to Haggai. One is to the people, and then the second one, which we're going to look at next week, is to uh, the, the leadership. And God gave those on the same day. And so these two things have to fit together. They have to go together. And so in verse 15, we see not only questions for the priests, but an explanation for the people. In verse 15, he says, And now I pray you, consider. Consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. So he says, I want you to go back in your mind's eye. I want you to go back to, your, your, to the memories that you have of what has happened in the past? Go back and think about what has taken place over the last 16 years. Go back to the first day that you arrived in this land, the miracle that I performed in the heart of Cyrus and laid it on his heart to rebuild the temple after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The miracle that I have done, how I brought you here, how you started that work, and then because it got too difficult how you quit that work, consider, think about it. And then he's going to launch into specifically consider how I responded to your disobedience. So first of all, he says, consider my purpose in the past. And you'll notice in verse 16 and 17, he rehearses the judgment that God brought upon his people because of this issue with his house and, and the fact that his house was not their priority when that's what he had told them to do. And so in verse 16, he says... <clears throat> Since those days, when one, or since those days were, I'm sorry, when one came to an heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blasting, with mildew, and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turn not to me. So he rehearses the judgment. He says, do you remember, consider, go back in your mind, remember what it was like when there was an expectation. You went to the heap. It was kind of, the idea is the pile of the harvest. You went to the pile of, of the harvest and you expected 20 measures. You expected to see 20 measures, but then in reality, what you actually got was 10. It's like going to the ATM machine and, and punching in, I want $50 or I want $20. We'll use the same numbers. I want $20 from the ATM machine and it spits out 10. Well, that's disappointing. 
And he says, consider, remember what it was like to go to the press fat. We don't use that word anymore, but the, the idea of a press fat was a wine press. It's where you put grapes in and those grapes would be crushed in, into uh, the, the fruit of the vine, the juice of the vine. And you'd be able to collect that and use that. Or with olives, they would put those in there and crush those to get the oil from, from the olives, squeeze those. And you go to the, the wine press, you go to the press fat, and you're expecting, the expectation is 50 vessels. This is how much I'm going to get for all the, the, the harvest, for all that I, the work that I put in. I expect to get 50 vessels, and in reality, there's only 20. You remember that disappointment? Over and over and over and over and over again. And of course, we pointed out that God, and God does it again here in this text. God says, that was me. I was judging you. You remember the frustration? You remember the the pulling your hair out? You remember the, the worry and concern? I was trying to get your attention. I'm knocking on the door of your life saying, uh, there's a problem here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to look, look, look here. You got your mind. You got your focus somewhere else. Look, look to me. There's a problem that's here. Verse 17, he says, he points out the, all the labors of their hands and how God smote those labors. I smote you, he says in verse 17. That was me. I smote you with blasting. And the idea of blasting is, is a, a, a crop not coming to maturity. It's, it's kind of been cursed with a blight, a disease. And so they, they, would, they would plant the crops and they, they would grow and there'd be an expectation of harvest. But here comes the disease. No harvest. He said, I, I smote you with mildew. And the idea of mildew is, is a paleness where you expect to see a rich, green, uh, healthy color out of that plant. And you just look at it and you know something's wrong. You don't even have to be a farmer to know something's not right. I did that. I smote you with hail. Think of how much damage happens with hail just like that. I mean, you can almost blink and, it, and it's gone. If you've ever kind of remember seeing a storm roll in and you know, boy, this looks, this looks fierce. And the hail is so quick. It only lasts for, I mean, a minute. But the damage is done. Whether that's to your car or to your roof but to a field of crops that was just about ready to harvest. And, and God just, in an instant, wipes it all out. And in case there was any doubt about what was going on, God is again very clearly saying, that was not a coincidence. That was not a freak accident. That was me. I was trying to get your attention. But you'll notice, not only does he rehearse the judgment, but specifically, the, the focus, I don't think, is on the judgment. The focus is on God's statement of purpose, why he was doing that. Why was he allowing these things to happen? What was he after? And it, it's right there at the end of verse 17. Yet ye turned not to me. You see, it was not just a change of outward behavior that God was after. Yes, God wanted them to return to the work and, and finish the construction of the temple. But just as important, God wanted them 
to turn to Him. He said, that's why I was allowing all these things to happen. It wasn't just so that you would begin performing some sort of outward ritual, that you would just go back to religion as normal and start doing all of these things and performing all of these things. Yes, I wanted your obedience, but I also wanted your heart. That's what I was after. That was the point. The problem was not just with the state of the temple. It was that the state of the temple was indicative of the state of their hearts. It was an illustration of what was going on inside. God's house was neglected because the people had stopped making God a priority in their hearts. And God was saying, I see your obedience. I'm pleased with your obedience. But I want your heart too. I want both. I want your outward service and building my house, but I also want your heart. This is something that is repeated for us in the New Testament. I'll just point out this verse, Romans 6 and verse 17. It says, But God be thanked that you were, were in the past, before salvation, you were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. You see both Both issues there, there is obedience, or I've been doing it this side, obedience and the heart. Obey from the heart. If you've been saved for any length of time, you realize how difficult, how how easy it is to get these things out of whack. To get them out of balance. To perhaps be like those in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 where Jesus had to confront them and And he had to say, why why are you calling me Lord, Lord? And you're not doing what I told you to do. They were out of balance. Oh, they they had plenty of good words to say about how much they loved God and how much they were devoted to God. I mean, we call him Lord. He's our master. And God says, I want to see some obedience. But then we look at the other side. In fact, turn in your Bibles. Keep your place here to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 Verse 38, a familiar story. You're going to recognize it as soon as you get there. Luke chapter 10. We have the story of Mary and Martha. Luke 10, verse 38, the end of the chapter. Now it came to pass as they went, they entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. It points out Martha was the one who opened the doors. It was Martha who was the one who invited Jesus to come. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone or left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Martha's doing. She's obeying. She's she's checking the list. She's doing all of the external things. Uh, She's serving Jesus in all of these ways. But Jesus rebukes her in verse 41. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
Jesus says to Martha, you're out of balance here. You're missing something that's very important. I appreciate the service, all the things that you're doing. I appreciate the the invitation, all the things that you're doing on the outside. I see it all. But you're missing the internal component. I want your heart. Mary has chosen that good part. So God's saying, consider why all this was happening in the first place. Go back and remember what was going on and realize that my purpose in that was not just to get you to do some things for me, but my purpose was that your heart would turn to me, that you would love me, that you would devote yourself to me, and that that devotion and that, that, that heart with God is number one, would fuel the service and the obedience. That's what I was after. And you've kind of missed the boat on that. Consider my purpose in the past. But then, I, I, I like, it's, this is not all rebuke. I, God pairs this, this rebuke with a promise for the future. And he tells them to consider my promise for the future. Verse 18, consider now. Okay, with all of that as the backdrop, consider now. From this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Think about this. And specifically, he points out a couple things. Consider the date of this promise. Which is kind of peculiar. Why does he include this date? You'll notice that the date, consider from this day, matches the date of the prophecy. Okay, so this is one of the reasons why I don't think what Haggai was saying was he wasn't just rehearsing, oh, this is going on in the past and now everything is good. He's saying consider from this day, the date of this message and this prophecy, and tag that with all the things that happened in the past. Think about those things. And this day, this day turned to me. And I like that because this day, today, it's always a good time to get your heart right with God. I see your obedience. I see what you're doing. I want your heart. And if you will give me your heart from the day that you decide to not only give me the work of your hands, the external things, the the, the good deeds from the day that you decide not only to give me those things, but also to give me the depths of your heart. From this day, I will bless you. From this day. That's the date of the promise. But there's also an emphasis here, not only on the date, but also the trust in the promise. And that's what he's pointing out in verse number 19. Because the reward that God promised was just that. Something that God promised. He tells them to consider from this time... This date, all the way back to 16 years ago when the foundation was completed and the work was halted. Think about that. And then realize that, you know what? If I give my heart to God now, I'm obeying God, right? But if I also give my heart to God, how is that going to change the reality of my situation? Because the reality of the situation was... There's nothing left. 
it's all gone. There's no physical hope of future blessing. That's what he points out in uh, verse number 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Let me ask you, where does the seed come from? It doesn't come from the, you know, the agway down the street or the supplier. Where does the seed come from? It comes from the harvest. The harvest of last year. The harvest that God smote. The harvest that God took away. The harvest that went from 50 to 20. The harvest that went from 20 to 10. That harvest. It was gone. There was no seed left over in the barn. It had been sown and the harvest had been insufficient to replenish the seed that had been sown. And so to think about the future, yes, we got hope for the future. We go to the barn. Next year's harvest is going to be there's hardly any seed left. How are we going to have a harvest? What's going to take place? And on top of that, the vine tree, the fig tree, the pomegranate tree, the olives, they weren't even in season yet. They hadn't brought forth yet. Where is this blessing going to come from? How is God going to change my current situation? But God says, from this day, I'll bless you. All of that, if you'll turn to me, if you'll give me your heart, all of that is changing today. From this day, I will bless you. Obedience And devotion to the Lord, both, if those are given to God, they will be rewarded, even though perhaps in the moment you don't exactly see it. There's a measure of faith that's involved. That God says, if I gave him my heart, God says, if I obey him, there will be blessing. I don't see where that's coming from. I don't see how God's going to fix the mess that I have created. I don't see how this is going to erase all of the, 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 the negative judgment that's been on our heads. But you know what? I believe God. Amen. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to give my heart to God. I'll leave the rewards in his hands. And God says, from this day, from this day, I'm going to bless you. Good. And so tonight, the simple truth is, That God wants both. God wants both. He wants your obedience, but He also wants your heart. How easy is it to get lost in all of the doing in the Christian life? All the things that you're supposed to do, but yet miss the heart. Completely miss it. It's also easy to call him Lord, to call him your Savior, and not do a lick of what he says. Both of these are wrong. Both of these are pitfalls on the path of doing God's will. Because God wants both. He wants your heart, and he wants your obedience. And the reality is, You really can't have one without the other. They go together. Ephesians 6 and verse 6 says, it's it's an instruction to servants, 
But there's something in there that caught my attention. It says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. And here it is. Doing the will of God, that's obedience, from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. And may we never lose the importance of doing God's will, the will of the Father, being obedient. Should a Christian be concerned about the things that God says, the things that he clearly lays out in his word that he tells us to do? To do? Should we be concerned about those things? Yes, we should be. The temptation is to go to one side or the other. Well, God's just, not, God, God's just concerned about my heart. I don't care about any of those stuff. And everybody who talks about those things is just a Pharisee. Well, be careful. Right. Be careful. God, God wants obedience. Right. And God wants the heart. He wants both. And it's just as easy to say, look, I'm doing all of these things. And so therefore, I'm better than everyone else because I'm being obedient to God. They're not. Be careful. Yeah. God wants both. He wants us to do his will from the heart. 